Hello, welcome again to the Waffle Press Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today, as always, Matt Garingo. Hi, I'm Matt Garingo, and welcome to our retrospective on Cannonball Run 2. We're here to talk about the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Yeah. And what was going on with Star Wars in the 80s and 90s before the prequels. Because things happened then. And yes. not all of it was good, and some of it's kind of depressing, as we're finding out. Oh. The Cold War ended, which was good. That, that's very good. But the AIDS crisis started, which was bad. So You're not wrong. Yeah, hey, there's the 80s. I just summed up the entire thing. <laughs> But now there's all this talk about they're not sure if they want to do an episode 10. And also you're hearing about all the rewrites going on with episode 9. Because they're having a hard time admitting that the problem might not be the script. It might be the director who needs to be fired. But he's good in a so room. Jurassic that's, World that's, a lot of money. That's the problem. I mean, he, he knows how to fucking suck that Hollywood dick. <laughs> I, was, I wanted to say it, but I was like, no, I shouldn't. Yeah, I, you know what? See, here's the difference between you and me. I had that same thought, and then said, fuck it, I'm doing it. Colin Trevorrow has been let go from directing episode nine. Now, Matt, I know this is going to be fucking me, but just I know you're heartbroken over this. I have never felt happier. <laughs> this is the happiest I've ever felt about... That's not true. A lot of people in the Trump administration have been fired. <laughs> so those are a little better, but uh, what are we here to talk about again? Well, now we're here talking Star Wars retrospective, the Thrawn trilogy. That's not even a joke. This, that's kind of what this is part of. So Yeah, that's yeah. a big part of what we're about to talk about. Oh, fuck yeah. It's so cool. Uh, yeah. Like, even, even the circumstances just around the story, not even the story itself. It's like... It's just all Which I'm guessing cool. you know more than I do because I don't have a lot of notes on the sto- on the behind the scenes. Uh, well, it's just the the big thing. Well, we'll hold on to that. Why don't, right. why don't you go ahead and lead us into post Return of the Jedi when George Lucas wanted to destroy the very thing he created? Okay, so <laughs> Return of the Jedi comes out. It actually makes more than Empire, I believe, or at least it opened bigger than Empire. George Lucas was kind of like, all right, I'm going to go make my little experimental films now. I'm going to open up Skywalker Ranch, and everything is going to be great. Except it wasn't. <laughs> um, he got divorced, as we talked about in the last episode. His wife left him for one of the designers of Skywalker Ranch. And we know that the divorce was one of the costliest things in Lucasfilm history. <laughs> we don't know the exact amount, but we know that she made at over $25 million, at least. And in royalty, she gets about $7 million a year. This is Marsha Lucas. Because um, she was technically the co-owner of Lucasfilm. So that was a problem. <laughs> and another thing that was that the book Skywalking by Dale Pollock comes out. And it doesn't exactly paint a flattering picture of Lucas. It, it portrays him as a control freak. And he, it's got a lot of quotes where he's disparaging Coppola. <laughs> Lucas says that it's all, it was supposed to be off the record, but Dale Pollock didn't listen and wrote it down anyway. And Dale Pollock says, if they had said off the record, I would have turned my tape recorder off. And Pollock says he actually cleaned up a lot of what he published. Oh, God. And he said, and he's refused to release the Lucas tapes, as they've become to known. 
<laughs> as they come to be known. But Lucas autogra- autographed uh, Dale Pollock's first copy of the book uh, and said, hey, may the force be with you. <laughs> and, uh, but since then, that's why Lucas has all, like, basically controlled all his own marketing since then. He's never let someone else, an outsider, come in to write about him. On top of that, uh, there was this problem with Skywalker Ranch, which is that it was actually too advanced for most filmmakers to take advantage of. <laughs> so a lot of the equipment, so it, a lot of the stuff at Skywalker Ranch wasn't getting used. It was also built in Marin County, which is one of the most expensive areas of California. Um, so Skywalker Ranch was operating at a net loss for most of the 80s. Uh, didn't help that movies like Labyrinth, Willow, and Howard the Duck underperformed, which were all Lucasfilm properties. Uh, Howard the Duck did so poorly that there's a rumor that a fist fight broke out between Universal executives <laughs> over the box office returns. Because Universal was like, fuck, Fox got Star Wars, Paramount got Indiana Jones, so we got to get whatever Lucas comes up with next. And Universal got Howard the Duck. Oh, no. So, uh, yeah. And if you've seen Howard the Duck, oh boy. Howard the Duck, by the way, first Marvel character ever adapted the film. How the fuck did that happen? So, so, so there you go. Lucasfilm started a little uh, company called Pixar, a little uh, unit of his uh, Skywalker Ranch, which was a software company that started coming up with uh, 3D animation technologies. And, but after a while, Lucas couldn't afford to keep it running. He was basically, I think, losing a million a year on Pixar. So he sold it to Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs went on to help make Pixar into Pixar Animation Studios. And Lucas is very, very bitter about this fact. Because <laughs> um, if you hear in interviews, he still refers to Pixar as my company. Even though he's had nothing to do with it since like 87. Um, also, it might, uh, might be a reason why he's dabbled in 3D animation on his own um, a few times while he was still in charge of Lucasfilm. The only things to come out of Star Wars at this time were uh, two Ewok films, Caravan of Courage and The Battle of Endor, which I've seen and do not remember. <laughs> I think the Ewoks talked in one of them. Oh, my God. I, Have you seen either? No, I haven't seen either of those. Oh, really? Yeah, so I'm... And you, I'm and you call yourself a Star Wars fan. I have seen the holiday special, so... That's, it's cra- they're much easier to watch than the holiday special. Okay, because that one starts off just fucking hilarious, and then it gets, like, aggressively unwatchable. It's, uh, yeah. It's one of the most <laughs> painful experiences ever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But much like the holiday special, um, you know, the main characters of Caravan of Courage and Battle of Endor are little creatures that don't speak English. But I think Lucas might have learned a few things from the holiday special, so he added some characters who could talk. (laughs) Some, uh, you know, human characters. But he talked about, back in the day, like right after Star Wars hit, he talked about, I want to do, you know, like 12 episodes. I also want to do spinoff films. One focused entirely on the droids, where the droids like won't even speak English. <laughs> and one focused entirely on the Wookiees. And he's kind of done that with the holiday special, 
Caravan of Courage and Battle of Endor. And then on top of that, he'd made... There was a droids cartoon that lasted a year. <laughs> uh, lasted one year, 1985. It starred R2-D2 and C-3PO. I know they ran into Boba Fett in one episode. It's rightfully been forgotten. <laughs> there was an Ewok cartoon, which did a little better. It lasted about two years, 1985 to 86. Right after Return of the Jedi came out, the toy sales for Star Wars just took a fucking nosedive. Um, it might have been because of the fact that Return of the Jedi does wrap everything up so much. Um, there was like, you know, there's nowhere to go with the story now. And so kids weren't as interested. Only really little kids were buying Star Wars toys. And since then, uh, Star Wars had seen competition from He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers and Ghostbusters, which were all outselling them in the toy department. And also, other than Ghostbusters, all the shows I just listed all based themselves around Star Wars, except they came up with the toys first and the shows later. I mean, He-Man, a lot of stuff, you know, you can find a lot of Star Wars parallels. G.I. Joe has like a classic hero's journey going on. Fucking the Transformers movie is a straight up Star Wars ripoff. <laughs> Orson Welles is the voice of a Death Star-like Transformer. Turn camera! <laughs> I still can't believe that shit's real. And he's talking about all us on wine. Action awesome, please. He doesn't do anything? No, it's a, sorry, cut. Yeah, rolling. 102, take two. Ah, the French champagne. It's always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So Paul Masson. There's a California champagne. <laughs> so Kenner Toys realized that they were probably gonna fucking go out of business. So they pitched to Lucasfilm an idea called The Epic Continues, which is that the, since the Emperor's death, a genetic terrorist has returned from exile, and our heroes must face him. And it was going to create this whole new line of toys, and you could only follow the story if you bought the toys. Lucasfilm rejected it. Uh, and Kenner shut down the Star Wars toy line in 1985. The Marvel Star Wars comic kept going for three more years and featured a storyline about aliens invading from outside the Star Wars galaxy, an idea we will see return a few times in the EU. And, but that officially ended with issue 107 in 1986. And on top of that, the official Star Wars uh, fan newsletter shut down in 1987. It looked like it was almost done. Yeah, like if, that, if that had happened today... That the writing on the wall is that okay? That's gone for maybe not forever because nothing's gone forever anymore. But a long time. Well, to me, it's kind of like you know, how, it's kind of like how the Matrix is right now. Like when when the first Matrix came out, and while the sequels were coming out, it felt like the Matrix was everywhere. Like there was tons of parodies of it. There was tons of like video games and toys, and advertisements that like aped the fucking. 
Matrix shit, and everyone like was talking about the agents and stuff. And then like right after the sequels came out, everyone just stopped talking about the Matrix for a long time. Like everyone was like, oh yeah, I remember the first one. And even today, there's not like a great, there's not like a huge Matrix presence unless you're a men's rights activist. <laughs> like w- when I walk into like, you know, I haven't been in a toy store in fucking years, but like, you know, if you walked in, you're not seeing any Matrix toys anywhere. There's no Matrix video game on the horizon. Um, and, or, and there's just not like, there's not a Matrix fan convention going on. Oh my God. Uh, Everyone dressed in black leather. Yeah, yeah I think there's Jesus. There's a reason why there hasn't been a Matrix fan convention, <laughs> but uh, but that's kind of what Star Wars was at the time, um, the, just a declining franchise, um, which is pretty sad in a way. Um, do you think it would have ever like fully gone away? You know what? No, I don't think there's any universe where Star Wars ever goes away. Different things I think okay. could have happened, but uh given just the way that the movie industry works, they either, like if Lucas had just totally forsaken them and mm-hmm. never turned around and uh, went back to them for the prequels, then someone else comes along and is like, this is a property we could get. And then they get it eventually after he dies or convinces him to sell them off. Yeah, I guess. But I, I don't know. I just, it's weird to me. Because this is not an era I lived through, so I didn't, like, experience the, you know, mm-hmm. Star Wars decline. And, like, the 80s, like, after Star Wars, you got a ton of shit that was, like, aping Star Wars in all sorts of different ways. The only other film, I think, that was, like, more influ- like just as influential in the 80s was Aliens, probably. And, and then you get, like, you know, the Nintendo video game revolution happened in the middle of the 80s, which I think changed a lot of our culture. And anime, of course, a lot, if a lot of anime in the 80s is taking stuff from Star Wars because Star Wars was fucking huge in Japan. And even the prequels were like, they, I think they were most successful in Japan. Not like money-wise, but I think reception-wise. I don't know. It's, just, it's weird to me. I just don't under... I, I, I get, you know what? It probably wouldn't have. I think, yeah, people were... There was a, a small band of people who were constantly waiting. The fact that there's this rumor, there was always going to be a, this rumored episode one, two, and three. I think that's what kept everything going. Yeah, um, I would have been interested in, or at least like looking into like another universe where, let's say, Empire goes through without a hitch, and then Lucas doesn't have to sell the, the to the Fox stuff, right? And he maintains mm-hmm. control for the series. And he's able to do his experimental stuff and then Star Wars and experimental stuff and then Star Wars. Like, what would that have looked like, you know? I've, I've actually been thinking about that a lot lately. And I had an idea of uh, episode six kind of playing out like with two, like just separate the two storylines of rescuing Han and Luke confronting Vader. And I had like this whole idea about like, Leia using her bounty hunter persona to pull like a fucking yo Jimbo on different crime groups in order to rescue Han. Ah, oh, that'd be so fucking cool. Which would have been amazing. Yeah. Um, but no, she got put in a slave bikini and then had to guard a door. And then I just like thought about I'm getting like a murderer's row of great directors to do all the Star Wars sequels. Um, which yes. includes, you know, St- Steven Spielberg doing 
Return of the Jedi instead of um, Richard Marquand. But that's just me. No, it's not. I that that is my dream world. I want to go to there. Mm-hmm. And then there was a Star Wars film every three years, forever. <laughs> Until well, that's today. Basically, that's basically what's going to happen. Yeah, well, not every three, every year. <laughs> Which is uh, maybe, maybe a little much. I like the break in between. <laughs> but imagine if like, Lucas was like, hey, Akira Kurosawa, who is still alive, do you want to do a Star Wars movie? <laughs> Your work only Akira- inspired me. Could I yeah, it's like you inspired you? all of this. I think maybe you should be the guy who does uh, the one of the prequel movies. Oh my god, that just be fucking unbelievable. Yeah. Or like you know, and then he's like, "Hey, uh, George Miller, I got to do uh, this Clone Wars thing. You want to maybe uh, cover some of that in these prequel movies?" No, hey. I I we'll talk about that when we get there, but I have distinct feelings on who should have tackled Attack of the Clones. Okay. Okay. I was also thinking Paul Verhoeven for Revenge of the Sith, but that was just my other one. Okay. I, I don't see that one, but I'm sure you could sell me in it another time. No. I was just thinking about the scene of Robocop where the guy got shot like a thousand times. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> Revenge of the Sith, Anakin falls in a volcano. Same thing. Paul <laughs> <laughs> well, just has to direct that one scene. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's not a not a great time to be involved in Star Wars because really no one is involved with Star Wars. Yeah, it's just, it just kind of inflated. And, Lu- and Lucas is probably feeling like really upset because he's because Star Wars is kind of being blamed for a lot of problems in Hollywood and the world post uh maybe just even empire i mean star wars is one of the movies that's kind of blamed for killing new hollywood so and that's something that lucas like was trying to do the exact opposite he was trying to create a world where he could fund projects for all his friends and that never happened uh and on top of all that some people say that the reason reagan won and became president is because of lucas and lucas is a very staunch liberal and I, I bet she's very bitter about that. But I don't think it's a coincidence that Reagan started talking about Russia as an evil empire. <laughs> and do we all remember uh, Reagan's Star Wars program? Oh, man. I wonder if there's some correlation. Yeah, hey. Well, actually, here's, here's a good example of how history never changes. <laughs> um, it, it was not called... It, of course, it wasn't called the Star Wars program when it, when it was announced. It was like this idea of lasers that could like stop nuclear missiles from hitting the United States. Uh, Ted Kennedy came out and was making fun of it and called it Star Wars. And Reagan adopted it and it made it sound cooler. So, God damn it. Much like today, the, Ra- the Democrats try and come up with something to mock the Republicans and the Republicans go, no, that's about right. And just take it over. <laughs> <laughs> so the Democrats have always been borderline incompetent. Also, Ted Kennedy got away with killing a woman. Why is he still allowed to talk? Good job, Democrats. Wait, hang on. It's getting a little political. We we gotta we gotta hear out both sides. Like, we gotta hear out. I listen to that Palpatine. Yeah, you know, maybe the emperor has some some good choices in there, tucked away. Yeah, you know, maybe his plan to exterminate races across the galaxy might have an upside that we at least have to listen to him on. Yeah. 
Come on, man. Well, listen, we can't get rid of the Wookiees because it would actually cost us more than keeping them alive. No, nothing, no moral reasons. Just, you know, it's cheaper to keep them alive than to kill them. That's a good way to argue this. That won't look weird. Okay, so Star Wars. Not, not yes. going good. George Lucas, maybe I get why he's such a cynical fuck about Star Wars sometimes because yeah. it kind of ruined his life. <laughs> oh, yes. And it this, very much, it very much did. Yeah. Like, um, I, was, I was talking to, uh, to buddy Gene. Hi, Gene. You probably listen to this because you're my co-host on the Waffle Press as well. And, um, you know, like we talk about Lucas a lot, like we make fun of him. And it's like, yeah, you know, he's a genius. But at the same time, God, like if I was him, I would have just broke down, like cried a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd be way more cynical than he was, I think. I don't, I don't think I'm. I'm that emotionally resilient. I could have handled it. <laughs> <laughs> Just look at my frequent outbursts over inconsequential things on Twitter, and you know I have the emotional strength to handle it. After all this. Also, I want to point out that in the movie Willow, there are monsters that are named after critics that George Lucas didn't like. Wait, no. I don't remember all the names, but I know there's a monster named after Pauline Kale. Who, who was very much a not a Star Wars fan. But also, but also there's some like two-headed monster named after Sisko and Ebert. And Ebert's always been a big defender of Lucas. So I don't know what the fuck that was about. Yeah, that's weird. And I don't, I don't remember if it was before. When did Willow come out? Willow came out in 88. Okay, so definitely before. Um, Ebert and Sisko had a whole segment where they confronted another critic about like why Star Wars is like a good thing, even if mm. they weren't always eye to eye on it. Cause the other critic was just like, Oh, like complaining about how like populist blockbuster cinema is like melting kids brains. Mm-hmm. And he was saying they should watch shit. Like, like, I don't know. He's probably talking about like Terrence Malick type shit. Mm. And it's like, that's yeah, these not kids what today, they just want to see, they just want to see ghostbusters and fucking labyrinth. What the fuck kids? <laughs> Why don't you sit down and watch fucking some Herzog <laughs> that I only have access to? Yeah. Because fucking video cassettes are just starting. It's a good thing no critics are like that today. Nope. All elitism died. Yep. Back in the 80s. They got the elitism got AIDS and died. <laughs> Anyways, um, how did yes. Star Wars make a comeback um two things happened that started uh you know the slow build of star wars returning um one was uh the star wars role-playing game made by west end games uh which was actually a really big hit among like the ultra nerdy <laughs> you know the D playing nerds um, but this was the first time when this game came out, this was the first time that everything in the Star Wars universe had to be cataloged. Everything had to be given a name. Like all the ships, all the planets, all the races, everything that hadn't already been named needed to be named and given a backstory. So, you know, players could understand how to tell stories in this universe. Um, so, and the people who made it, they were given a lot of free reign to come up with stuff that, you know, Lucas had no involvement in. 
including that uh, the Mon Calamari were originally a race that was discovered by the Empire um, sometime during the trilogy. And the Empire tried to use them as a slave race, but the Rebellion saved them. Um, this would be contradicted by the EU pretty quickly um, and, and mostly forgotten. But the West End Star Wars game is the first thing that gave Star Wars like a really grounded, like, here's what the continuity is. Because up till then, it had just been a bunch of shit going off in different directions. Um, including uh, the book Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Um, which I think we've talked about a little bit on here. Yes, in between Empire uh, and uh, New Hope, right? Yeah, and also, if you want more example of how Lucas didn't have this planned out, Lucas toyed with having Vader get killed off in Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Because um, at one point, Splinter of the Mind's Eye was supposed to be the next Star Wars movie. If the original didn't make a ton of money. Um, but that was abandoned when Star Wars was the biggest film of all time. Uh, so Lucas did not know Vader. It was going to be Luke's father. Um, there's also the Han Solo trilogy. The Lando Calrissian trilogy. Which are like, you know, sets of books. Um, the Marvel Star Wars comic, which I have mentioned. Um, there was a newspaper comic. On top of that, there was a Marvel UK comic, which had some issues written by Alan Moore. Um, so there's some Alan Moore Star Wars material out there if you want to read it, and it's actually some pretty good shit. So I would seek it out. And so I think the Western the Western game was like first released in like '87, and then they started publishing source books after that, which is where all this info would be given, which would explain how like hyperspace works and all that stuff. Um, which I guess, you know, is both a blessing and a curse for the Star Wars franchise. Um, then in 89, Disney opens up the Star Tours ride, which was the first non-Disney property to be built in a Disney theme park. Um, and Lucasfilm also had some help with the Captain EO attraction, which was produced by, Spiel, uh, by Lucas and directed by Francis Ford Coppola. No, I never knew that. Yeah, you didn't know that? No. You fucker. I'm a fake, um, <laughs> I'm a fake fan, dude. All right, but then the, all right, the big thing, though, that was going to bring Star Wars back was just on the horizon. The official Lucasfilm story is that they went to every publisher out there, and none of them wanted to publish any Star Wars books. They're like, Star Wars is dead, um, which is actually something that was said to a lot of people trying to sell new Star Wars toys. But it what maybe wasn't said to these book publishers, and then one company, um, Bantam Books, which had their own like sci-fi uh, line of books, said, "Hey, we'll we'll uh, publish some Star Wars books," and they made a deal with Lucasfilm. Uh, Bantam Books disagrees with this version of the story. They say they were the ones that approached Lucasfilm, which initially didn't want to make any books. They just sent a letter being like, "Hey." You know, a lot of people want to know what happened after Return of the Jedi. And we all know that the story continues, but we know you're not making any movies, so can we write some books? And the original idea was that they were going to get award-winning sci-fi authors to write one Star Wars book a year. And that was going to be, like, you know, a big thing. That way it wouldn't get too out of control. Um, That's so Lucasfilm was like, hilarious. I, yes, I know. <laughs> Um, Lucasfilm was like, all right, but yeah, there's a couple rules. 
Um, one is that it has to be five years after the original series. Um, it cannot touch the Clone Wars or any of the backstory to these characters before A New Hope. Uh, other than Han Solo, because he had already had his backstory told in some books. Um, Lucas specifically said stay away from the Clone Wars. Um, but they were allowed to use clones as a plot point in um, whatever book they ended up publishing. God damn it. No minor characters. Um, no major characters, I mean, could be killed off. And no characters who were dead could be brought back. Those were the Lucasfilm rules. And Bantam Books uh, got uh, Hugo Award-winning author Timothy Zahn to write a trilogy of books to follow Return of the Jedi. And I, I love this. This, the Thrawn trilogy, I should, we should just say yeah, it. Yeah, it is what trilogy. it was called. Yeah. Heir to the Empire, uh, Dark Force Rising, and The Last Command. Yeah. Uh, and this, it, it's just, I think it, it's a great series of, of Star Wars books, but also it's one of the things that gets credited for reinvigorating audience interest like on a mass scale for Star mm -hmm. Wars. This well, and the these Dark Horse, the Dark Horse comics too, but yeah, well, which we'll get into them in a moment. Um, but when these were coming out, they were advertised as like the canonical sequels to the Star Wars movies. And this is after you know um, the first ones published in ninety one, I believe. Yeah, ninety one, um, and then ninety two and ninety three. It's like years back to back. So like eight years since any new Star Wars material, and now you get this. And so, of course, people are going to be clamoring for it. And it helps that the book is the books are actually very good. Yeah, yeah, because um, some, as you'll come to find out, are not the best books. Very quickly, <laughs> things will uh, not not work out very well. Yeah. Um, but do you want to talk? Um, do you want to talk about the Thrawn trilogy a little bit, and maybe yeah. fill in what happens? Yeah. And who the fuck this Thrawn motherfucker is? <laughs> yeah. Some uh, some brief little synopsis stuff uh so it's not really talked about in the um in the movies especially in the original trilogy but the empire and the emperor they're they're, they're space nazis so you know their equivalence of racism is speciesism i guess mm -hmm. and uh they don't allow aliens to like move up the ranks they just use them as like slaves right except yeah. for this guy this this up-and-coming young imperial he's not even really like a soldier he's kind of like he started as a soldier on his own home planet, blue body, red eyes, and but he's smart. And the Emperor sees that he's smart. And so he starts moving up the ranks. And by the time the original trilogy ends, he kind of just fucks off into galactic space for a while. And uh, it kind takes of, a fleet of ships with them. Yeah. It, it kind of addresses something that I wish Force Awakens have addressed a little bit more in that reconstruction. You know, like... <laughs> the Imperial government is like non-existent. They they destroy the Senate in the beginning of the original Star Wars. So you know they have to make some sort of like viable system of government. <laughs> that, mm. that you know that's that's an important plot point after what is the equivalent of World War Two in space. Yeah. Then Grand Admiral Thrawn comes back, and he's such a fascinating villain to me because he's not even now even in the catalog of Star Wars villains of all the ones canon non-canon whatever. He's so radically different and legitimately threatening. He's just yeah. smart. He's just a brilliant military tactician. Mm. And he, he's not force sensitive. He, he doesn't wield a lightsaber. 
he's just smart as fuck, and he's smarter than everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such uh, it's such a simple thing to do. But what's his like big strategy? What's what's his big uh, like? How does he view his enemies? That's the other thing. I love how he looks at their history. Like he genuinely studies his opponents, like an actual military tactician, which you don't mm-hmm. see a lot in adventure fiction, really. Yeah. And uh, Rebels kind of touches on it, not as much as I would like. But um, yes. he studies their art and their history. He learns about the different cultures and that lets him know how they're going to fight against him and so how he can maneuver around that and outsmart them. And it's just, he's such a rich villain. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that they toss aside the EU because most of it is, is generally pretty awful. But part of me does wish that uh, at least they adapted Thrawn to the big screen because it's such a compelling character. You know what I would do with uh, the Thrawn? trilogy what if i was in charge of lucasfilm which i really shouldn't be i would get those guys who did a little show called uh, avatar the last airbender and get them to do an animated adaptation of the Thrawn trilogy just direct to dvd just to fix all the details that no longer fit with the new continuity but other than that just you know adapt it make it part of the canon probably won't happen but that's what i would do yeah, no. Thrawn's on Rebels now, which I have mixed feelings about. He's been fine on Rebels. Um, I hope that's not like where he's going to end. There's a new Thrawn book out, which I haven't read. I just Someone just told me it was actually good, so i got to check it out. Written by Timothy Zahn. Yeah, uh, i got to check that out, too, because I, I haven't read it either. Oh, and uh, I like that the first book, I believe it ends with Admiral Akbar being arrested for treason, right? Um... I think, you know what, I think that happened, yeah. Does that happen in this one? Is it the, the end of the, the first one or the second one? There's all sorts of political maneuvering going on in these books, um, which is actually like really enjoyable, showing that you can do space politics in a fun way. It all totally fits with the villain, too, because that's the sort of villain that he is, just yeah. weaving in and out like politically and uh, military-wise. And Scott, what a fucking good villain. God damn yeah. it. <laughs> Well, he's not the only new addition to no. the cast, the smuggler character. You know what? One thing when I was taking notes on all this stuff was I realized that I never learned how to pronounce most of these characters' names. I don't think anyone really knows, um, quote-unquote. Like Talon Card, who is the smuggler character who flies the wild card. Mm-hmm. Jo- Joras Sabuf, the, <laughs> the insane Jedi clone. I don't think I even came close to saying that right. Uh, uh, I got nothing on that. Sabau. Um. Sabu. Sabu. Um. They're the the Yasalamari. We'll be here all day. The, but uh, I think the, the the creatures who can repel the force. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, the big one, though, at least I think for a lot of fans, is Mara Jade. Yes. Um, Mar Jade, of course, is a. She was k- created because Timothy Zahn had a problem with Return of the Jedi. Most people do. Which, yeah, a lot of people do. But he was like, "What? What the fuck was with all this shit going on at Jabba's palace?" So he felt that like there, like it had nothing to do with the rest of the overarching story, which is kind of right. Um, so he came up with this character, who was an assassin sent by the Emperor to kill Luke Skywalker at Jabba's palace. 
this character was Mara Jade, and she's, you know, they call her the Emperor's Hand. And she's been brought on board because the Emperor no longer trusts Vader. He thinks, you know, and Vader, you know, already told Luke and Empire that uh, they should team up and kill the Emperor. <laughs> so I would think the Emperor would be able to pick up on shit like that, but maybe he wouldn't. Um, but the, these books implied that he did. And he found Mara Jade. After the Emperor's death, Mara Jade's kind of been living an aimless life. And so she wants to avenge her master's death. And so she's after Luke Skywalker. And it just so happens all this other shit's going down. And these are just, they're just fun books, really. They're really fun books. Uh, they're page turners. You know, and any, anyone, even today, like with the new continuity, I would still recommend these as like the Star Wars books to start with. Like, if you don't enjoy these, then you're probably not going to enjoy any Star Wars books. Yeah, and it, it's kind of telling that I, I really like these, clearly. And I don't really enjoy <laughs> any others. Um, yeah, there's not much. Um, I'll get into some I like, but... Yeah. Um, uh, oh, but I will say, um, as much as I enjoy them, they're not, like, that thematically heavy. They're not, uh... Oh, yeah. No, they're good. Well, I mean, the, you should the, definitely check them out, and they're well-written. But uh, there's not much to them. The big problem is Lucas was never, never decided if he was going to let the EU really be its own thing or if one day he was going to come in with his own sequels. And so all these writers are stuck. They can't really progress these characters in ways they need to progress. Um, and just after a while, that gets really tiring, you know, because you basically you start and end in the same spot. You just had a new villain kind of like it's a villain of the week type thing. And it can get frustrating and it just makes it boring. And then, you know, you, you introduce these children um, who we, you know, uh, Han and Leia's children are born in this uh, twins are born in this, these books. And uh, those characters never become interesting. <laughs> And they needed to, because at some point they were going to have to take over the series, and that never happened. So you remember how I said uh, they originally wanted to release one book a year written by an award-winning author? Yep. Well, other than the year 1991, every year after 1991, there would be at least 10 Star Wars books released a year. Um, so yeah, that plan didn't work out. The, the record, I think, being uh, 22 Star Wars books were released in 1997. Holy shit. So, one year. <gasps> what? 22 bucks. Who can afford that many books? I, in, insane people. <laughs> um, like, really big nerds who, are like, who went on to become huge tech startup type dudes. <laughs> um, yeah. That's insane. I mean, and that if I had been living through that, at some point I would have just given up. <laughs> that's what happens with that, that's what happened with like, you know, reading mainstream comics for me. Like you suddenly had to be reading like you know, like twelve different series just to understand what was going on during an event. And I was like, fuck that. Oh yeah. Like I it that only happened to me like a couple years ago where um you just realize you, you can't do it. Like there's no way. Yeah. So, like, almost, like, immediately after, not even immediately after, the same year, Heir to the Empire, which is the first of the Thrawn trilogy, um, was released, uh, Dark Horse was decided they were going to start up uh, the Star Wars comic line. 
again after Marvel passed. Good move, Marvel. They decided to tell uh, the story called Dark Empire, which is basically Luke versus a clone of Emperor Palpatine. I hate this. And this is where I think you get into this on top of another series, which I'm going to mention really quickly. Um, another series started being published in 1992, which are, were directed much more at young adults. And there was a total of six books released over a two-year period called the Jedi Prince series. And like how th the Thrawn trilogy is considered one of the best parts of the EU, the Jedi Prince is considered one of the worst parts of the EU. Um, it, all, it involves all this nonsense about like who gets Emperor Palpatine's throne, like what's happening like right after Palpatine dies. Um, the main heroes of the series are barely in it. It's very juvenile. And then you have Dark Empire, which it takes the series like way too seriously. <laughs> and it's you can it, it really is fan fiction of like you know you feel the people who when they saw Return of the Jedi were disappointed that the Emperor was killed so quickly. And they're like, oh, you know, it would have been cool if uh, Luke had been tempted by the dark side because Luke quote-unquote, falls in Dark Empire, but he turns out to be faking it. Um, but that's like a big story element. You know, people, when they say, what went wrong with the Return of the Jedi? Like, well, you know, it would have been cool to see if Luke was actually tempted by the dark side. So now that's been corrected with Dark Empire. Quote-unquote. Yeah, and then, and then on top of the Thrawn trilogy is just, you know, what happens after all this? And it's another answer, and it's another completely different take. So you're getting these you're getting this idea that Star Wars means different things to different people. And everyone's got a different idea of Star Wars in their head. And we're just now starting to like lock down what people think. And it's going a lot of crazy and contradicting directions. And a lot of people are hoping George Lucas will come back one day and give order to this chaos. Oh boy. <laughs> well, that, that is definitely... A thing that kind of happens. Well, right around uh, the, when the Thrawn trilogy was wrapping up in October of 1993, George Lucas gives an interview where he says, I am going to make the Star Wars prequels. Um, having just seen Return of the Jedi, he said, CGI is now caught up. I can now tell the stories the way I want to. And, of course, fucking fans freak the fuck out. <laughs> Meanwhile, George Lucas wouldn't actually start writing the prequels for another year. He started writing November 1st, 1994, and actually posted a video online of him starting the process. In the midst of all this, Star Wars returned to theaters. And we got the three Star Wars special editions. Was that your attempt at the curb your enthusiasm thing? Yeah, it's not the best. I don't know if we should get totally in, because here's the weird thing about the special editions. Even with all their really fucked up changes, I don't think people got mad until they realized that they were no longer just the special editions. <laughs> that they were the official editions of Star Wars. I, I believe it was 1997, because it would have been the 20th anniversary of Star Wars. I could be wrong on the date. 
but it was the idea was let's let's re-release the Star Wars films and hey let's put some deleted scenes back into the movie at least that's how it started <laughs> and interestingly it was like you know what like maybe we can uh add a couple of you know new special effects and fix some things that never really worked I mean because you know they at first they were just fixing stuff like you know removing black outlines on ships um, which you would notice much more prominently in like the Hoth battle. Um, stuff on the Rancor to make him look a little better. Uh, and for for whatever reason, that tinkering just kind of got out of control. <laughs> Lucas decided that these these are going to be like really big, completely complete re-edits of these movies. We're going to add like whole new sequences and change existing sequences, and like take out the special effects and put in new ones. Um, we're going to put in shots that never existed before. It's funny that and you mentioned, uh, just really quick, that out of hand, it's a, that's a common recurring theme I'm noticing in the Star Wars series that we're doing. It, it's getting a little big. For whoever goes near it, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, whatever their motivation, their endeavor, it always seems to get out of hand very quickly. Yes. Well, there's some there's some rumors as to why the special editions played out the way they did, and they're a little gross, and I can't confirm them, but I'm going to talk about them. Okay. Um, which is that because editions are re-edits of the movie, it cuts Marsha Lucas out of some royalties, and Ooh. that might be the reason why Lucas is pushed the special edition so heavily. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's... Whether or not it's true, that's just gross to think about. It's it's really hard to find any, like, confirmation on it. I re- really could be bullshit. doesn't change the fact that the special edition's changes are a disaster, but... And to me, honestly, the thing is, I wouldn't be that angry if they were just, like, a director's cut. You know, like, I, I have both versions of Aliens. I have both versions of Alien. I have both versions of Alien 3. I have multiple versions of Blade Runner and Brazil. And I don't get mad at the existence of other versions because I know they're, you know, I can still watch the original or I can watch my per- the version I prefer to watch. My problems don't really come... I don't really get, like, really angry about the special editions until later when it's just the active suppression of the original versions. But there's another level here, which is that because Star Wars is such a nerdy thing and continuity matters to a bunch of nerds, when you change something, it affects the entire way we look at the universe for, you know, really nerdy people. Um... Like, let's say you have a character who shoots someone in cold blood. And you want to change that to make it look like he shot him in self-defense. That changes that character. And which version now is, you know, canon? And on the flip side of that, would you also say that because Greedo was clearly going to either take him to his death or shoot him on the spot, that it was, in a weird way, self-defense already? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, if you have to make that logical leap, if that conversation has to happen that way, mm-hmm. I mean, it well, also I just, establishes that character, but 
I, I literally that? just rewatched The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And there's a scene where a, uh, a bounty hunter catches up with Tuco while Tuco's taking a bath. And the guy's got one arm because he lost the other because of Tuco. And he's like, you know, he's like, I got you right where I want you, Tuco. And then Tuco has his gun in the bath, so he just shoots the guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Tuco goes, if, you, if you're going to shoot, shoot, don't talk. <laughs> and that's basically the scene in Star Wars. I mean, it's straight out of a Western. So I don't care what the motivations were. It's just don't touch. It's the scene makes sense, and then you got this weird edit where like Han's like head kind of dodges Greedo's bullet. It's really awkward. And now in the most recent edit, they fire at like the exact same time, <laughs> which makes even less sense. Like it wasn't a problem yeah. until oh fuck. And of course, George Lucas has been seen wearing a T-shirt that says Han shot first. That was like a big deal when that happened. <laughs> And I mean, a, a lot of the additions are... The only addition I like, which someone argued with me that this wasn't an addition, but it is, go watch your fucking VHS copies of the original Star Wars, is Biggs uh, running in the Luke at the Rebel base. That doesn't happen in the original Star Wars. But that was put back into the special edition. That's the only scene I really like. And also, that's where you get a weird continuity thing where uh, Red Leader says, I served with your father, Luke. He was a great pilot. And that's never been revisited, like, anywhere in Star Wars. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, the, the, all the special... You get the Jabba the Hutt scene, which looks fucking terrible in the original version at this point. The CGI from that has not aged well. And then you get to the weird situation where Lucas is re-editing films he didn't direct, which are Empire and Return of the Jedi. Because, you know, he didn't direct those. Although he kind of did direct Return of the Jedi. Yeah, a, l a little bit, at least. But Urban Kirshner was pretty much the guy running the whole thing on Empire, and it's a little fucked up that Lucas just came in and made whatever changes he wanted. Yeah. I'm sure I mean, he like said, "Hey Kirshner, here's what we're changing," and then Kirshner was like, "All right." And then, uh, but he doesn't even end up changing that much in Empire because that that's pretty close to one of those like just structurally sound movies, you know. It it comes out the most undamaged from the special editions. But there's the worst change ever, I think, is in Return of the Jedi. The this, this song at, Jedi, at Jabba's Palace. Oh, eat Oh, eat it. The song is actually called Jedi Rocks, which doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> and the thing that's just so fucking ridiculous about that is that they took out the fucking Ewok song, but put that in. Like, Lucas had grown embarrassed of the Ewok song. But he decided to add something even more embarrassing. It's insane that that is still part of Star Wars. God, if, like, if the situation had been better surrounding production on these movies, then I'd be like, you know what? Like, it's his movies. It's his vision. Sure, he can do. I, I think it lessens them. But you know what? Mm. As long as they're both available, sure, why not? Yeah, that's my whole take, too. It's filmmakers are allowed to... I mean, but again, he didn't direct the other two. Yeah, which is but a he's allowed to make water. He's allowed to make the changes he wants to his film. I got nothing against that, but to, su but to suppress the release of the original versions, which they have very much been suppressed. I don't even want any fucking people going, no, no he, gave, he released them on a bonus disc in like the shittiest quality imaginable. And the fucking, the D none of the DV official DVD releases of Star Wars have been that great a quality. They've all been pretty bad. 
just like you know color wise and just uh they're ugly as shit there's all this like motion smoothing and bullshit but yeah. Lucas is actively suppressed and is gone on record saying that he like Lucasfilm might have destroyed the original prints like the ending of the witch you know like they're burning <laughs> all the negatives and like Lucas yeah. floating ass naked in space I this is that is not something I've ever envisioned oh okay yeah I, mean, I just I just more imagine, you know, people throwing out fucking a quality movie. What the fuck? Yeah, you totally derailed me with that. Ugh. Anyway, it's just, but that's pure evil. If that if that's true, if they like really like get Lucas, because he should be, because it's supposed to be protected by the Library of Congress. The first one is anyway. But you know, it's not, and Lucas may be damaged the original prints, and there might not be an official original copy of Star Wars. We might never have an official release of that ever again. Do you think it'll happen after he dies? Like, I know that's really fucked up to say, but, like, logistically speaking. Maybe. It depends on whatever, it depends on if he really did damage whatever versions he had. Or if like, he made a deal with Disney that said you can never release the originals. And there's also the problem of that Fox will always own the original Star Wars. Oh, yeah. So right. there's a huge, like, problem trying to re-release them. Because Fox will do the original Star I'm sure that Disney and Fox can come to a deal, but it'll still be a problem. But if Lucas is really trying to keep royalties away from his ex-wife, that might, you know, mean like, hey, you can't release it while she's still around. But I believe you had a choice words for what you would describe George Lucas as if what you're saying he did or we, we assume he did to be true. I don't remember what I said. Okay. Did I call him a film terrorist? You said an art terrorist. An art terrorist. Like so. Yeah. I would, I would say that. I mean, it's evil. It's pure evil. Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't believe in a hell, but if there is one, <laughs> People who destroy art should go there. The, all the studio executives, you know, back in the 30s who destroyed film negatives just to get the silver that was in the film. And we lost, you know, hundreds of films. 90% of films before, like, 1940 are completely lost. Because studios are fucking run by Satan. Just need a fucking earthquake to take out that whole city. <laughs> Just fucking God, just send your wrath. Just open up the fucking earth. Let it all fall in. <coughs> you might get a nuke sent instead, so. Yeah, hey, whatever works. <laughs> Lord, The Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> so. Oh, my God. There you go. Although, if you, if, you, if you nuke Hollywood, we do lose a lot of prints anyway, so that's not good. No. No, it's not. Kim Jong-un, your father was a big movie fan. Please don't nuke Hollywood. <laughs> all right, there's one more thing we got to talk about. All right, all right, one thing. Then we got to wrap um, up. One more element of the EU, which is the Shadows of the Empire multimedia project. Um, do you remember this? I do not. But when you mentioned well, like, it for the notes, I was like, oh, what is this? And then I looked it up. I, I don't think I ever came across it, but I, I don't see how I didn't. <laughs> This was, like, advertised huge. This was pushed big time as being, like, 
if they could have made an episode 5.5, this is what would have it would have been. And it tells all it tells like all these stories of what happened in between episode five and six. Um, in fact, it overlaps with episode five a lot. Um, and there was a video game released, a comic book released, and a book released, along with a whole new toy line featuring characters from this. And it was huge. It was like a huge multimedia project. They pushed really heavily. Um, it was like I think it was the first real attempt to try and maximize profits from the EU, because you know it's like everything all at once. And they would try again with the Force Unleashed video game, and fail miserably. <laughs> um, and I'm not a giant fan of the storyline of Shadow of the Empire. Um, you basically you there's like multiple stories, which you know one is you following what happened to Luke after Empire. You also get uh, this smuggler named Dash Rendar. Gets caught. He's at Hoth during the base attack. He's a smuggler who gives the rebels, you know, supplies, and he gets caught up in everything going on. And he ends up fighting like IG88 and shit like that. It's an interesting little moment. Um, I just know because a lot of people like look back on this fondly, and I don't. It's like really not super great. It feels like fan fiction. Um, which I don't necessarily always think is a bad thing, um, but this time it was. Yeah, and because uh, uh, they're honest to God, they're, they're I, I ended up coming across something like I don't get fan fiction for like uh, like Sherlock and whatnots back in the Tumblr days of mine, right? And then mm -hmm. occasionally I would stumble upon a little something, and be like, oh, this kind of reads well, and then like three mm -hmm. hours pass by, I'm like, oh shit, I have no life. But mm -hmm. I, I enjoy checking that out. And some of the EU I'm, is like that. And then most of the EU is like the opposite mm -hmm. of that. And where the weird connotations of fan fiction come from. All the negative stuff. Yeah, I know that negativity is associated with fan fiction and fan works. But I think there's nothing better than that shit. Yeah. Like, uh, I think that who, who was it? Who was, someone was saying, like a renowned creator was saying that uh, they, don't, they don't want fan art or fan fiction of their works. George R. R. Martin, he doesn't. He thinks it's copyright infringement. Yeah, and it's like, dude. Uh, Although he said that like years ago, and I'm not sure if he actually still believes it because it like started like a huge debate on his blog uh, back when he was like constantly on his blog. Um, and I mean, and this is a guy who like wrote fan fiction of other shit, so I think maybe he woke up to how he just misunderstood a certain thing. Hopefully, um, I would hope so because I like that guy. But I understand if maybe he's not a fan of reading fan fiction of his work. Maybe he's like, hey, I want to write this shit. <laughs> so, like, wait till I'm finished. I oh, know, you know what I, I, also, I think it was? Someone finished his series for him because he was taking so mm -hmm. long. And he was like, god damn it, that's better than what I wrote. Well, I think it's just, he's, he, I know he's a guy who has, like, vultures kind of hanging around him. Yeah. And he gets that quite, like, I mean, I, he's been asked, like, to his face, like, what if you die before you finish the books? <laughs> And he's like, fuck you, I'm not finished, I'm not getting finished. <laughs> like, what do you think is going to happen? Like, yeah, he's like, it's like if you're going to ask it like that, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and hey, whatever, just, George, take your time. Just do what you need to do. It might actually be really cool if he, like, never finishes the last book. And then we're all left trying to figure out, like, what the ending is. Well, I don't think there's much more to say.
I think this is a really important time to look at what was going on with Star Wars because it's like right before the prequels hit, and the prequels change everything. Like all the stuff that come that comes out after the prequels is very different than the stuff before it. And so, if you study anything before like 1995 that Star Wars related, you get a really interesting vision of like how the public viewed Star Wars. If I were to like try and look back at something like Star Wars. It seems more like a closed loop. Like, it's a big, expanding universe, but I couldn't picture anything else really happening there. And once the prequels hit, maybe it was just because I saw them when I was younger, like the original trilogy, something about a post-prequel world view, it feels like it, it grew in a big way. It felt much larger, even though the stories kind of make it feel smaller, if you get what I mean. I, dis- I disagree. I honestly think that everything shrinks when the prequels come out, like in all manner. Like, I think, I think the things that work about the early EU works is that they are hinting, they do what the original trilogy did so well, which is that they're hinting at a larger story, that we're only getting a snapshot of just like the millions of other things going on in the Star Wars galaxy. They run into problems when they can't actually go anywhere <laughs> because of constraints and you know roadblocks put on by other films. I go look up all the stuff published before, like hell, published before like '92. There's like a lot of really weird directions Star Wars went in, and it, it's just a picture of a universe that we, it seems like completely alien, mostly thanks to how the prequels handle the Star Wars universe. And we'll get into that. All right. Well, next time. Um, so the Phantom Trip Menace trailer hits. This is the last thing for this episode. What are your initial reactions to that trailer? Um, I was like five. I don't know. So. No, no, yeah, we're, we're time traveling. We have no recollection of Star Wars. Our memories are non-existent. But we see that trailer. What do you think of when you see it? Well, this is the thing. All right, I got to divide this. I don't. I wanted to give like a simple answer, but I really can't. <laughs> That's fine. Because I'm not living in a world where I had Star Wars. T- like I didn't have Star Wars for 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, like I never experienced that. I, you know, I got. I saw a new Star Wars movie when I was five years old. I didn't realize it was such a big deal when it happened. Like I just assumed, like, oh, hey, like, because I didn't know. That I didn't know what 1977 was. <laughs> I just understood that like everyone was really excited about the year 2000 for some reason. Like I didn't realize that like we were about to cross the millennium until after it happened. So like, but at the same time, like when you watch the trailer now, you can see the problems that are going to plague it. But if I had watched it as a guy who hadn't seen anything Star Wars related in 20 years, I probably wouldn't have picked up on that. Um, but if you look at those, you know, those prequel shows, it's a lot of slow-moving action other than the pod race in the trailer. It's a lot of people walking around. You get some, a lot of sitting around and talking. It lacks an urgency that uh, when the Force Awakens marketing started, like those those trailers were nothing but like nonstop shit coming at you, including the teaser, which doesn't tell you jack shit. So I don't know. I I can't really 
I can't watch that trailer with like a fresh mind. And fuck all these people that say don't judge a movie by the trailer. <laughs> okay. I get this shit every time I go, man, that trailer looks fucking terrible. And then I get messages with people like it's so wrong to judge a movie by a trailer. You know what? I, I'll say this. Once a year, there's a movie I'm wrong on. <laughs> Once. I'm right the other 20 times. <laughs> what were you wrong about? Oh, no. Last year, you were wrong about Star Trek Beyond. But last year, Star Trek Beyond, I was way wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever Rise of the Planet of the Apes came out, I was, like, fucking mocking that shit, like, big time before it came out, and it was, like, fucking great. Yeah. Um... So yeah, like I, I'm, I'm wrong. A lot of I, there's always one movie I'm wrong on every year. Stop giving me shit. No, I, I fully when support I say that. A movie when a trailer looks like shit, and I react saying, "Man, the movie looks like shit." Because guess what? It's more accurate. That if if it was for like an art house film, or you know, like let's say there's a trailer for like uh, what's something coming out, like like Darren Aronofsky's new movie. Does he have a trailer out for that movie yet? Yeah, like it, they just started like their media blitz right now. You're like, I'm not going to watch the trailer because I, like, I usually avoid trailers for movies like that. Um, but if I did see it and it wasn't like great, I wouldn't care. Because so I'm like, well, it's a smaller movie that they probably don't know how to market it. I know what happens with smaller movies. But when it comes to like a tentpole blockbuster movie, they've, they've distilled the science <laughs> of marketing these type of movies. And I know when it's being manipulative in both good and bad trailers. And so when I see the trailer for Power Rangers and it looks like shit, I'm going to say it looks like shit. And then when the movie is shit, it's because I'm because the trailer looked like shit. Stop trying to pretend that like there's these, you know, we're not in the 80s where they totally fuck up the marketing for like these huge movies. That's what the trailer's for. For you yeah. to form an opinion on whether or not you want to go see it, you know? <laughs> Maybe I don't want to watch the movie. That is okay. And I would be a dick if, like, you know, like, I tried to pretend the movie was still bad even after I saw it and liked it. Like, if I went to Star Trek Beyond and, like, was still trying to be like, nah, it sucked, man. Like, then I should fully be called out on that shit. But, like, in Star Trek Beyond, I was like, you remember, I was, like, fucking against that movie in, like, every conceivable way. Yeah. Like, I hated everything that was coming out about it. And then, guess what? It's the best of the new Trek movies. Fuck yeah. So, I was fucking wrong. And I was happy to be wrong. That's a, I'll give every movie a chance. But, that's a very positive way to end this episode. A change. fuck everyone else. <laughs> there it is. Fuck these people judging me. <laughs> Matt, where can the people find you? People can find me at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at D-E-W-G-O-Waffles, President Diego. Uh, like, subscribe. If you didn't like, like and subscribe anyways because you might find something you do like. Uh, I'm trying to think of a catchier send-off for these. Uh, may the force be with you is kind of hokey. Fuck off and die. One, oh, two, take three. Action, please. Uh, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson. Inspired by that same French excellence, it's fermented in the bottle and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So Paul Masson, super.